With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This, this, this is, 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 is Fight Disciples. We are gathered here today for the Fight Disciples UFC and Boxing Talk. Welcome to Fight Disciples on Radio City Talk. This is the best hour you're going to get this week. Merseyside Fight Sports coming into your ears non-stop for the next 60 minutes. All the very best of Merseyside Boxing, MMA and everything in between. Now, let me tell you, have I got a guest for you tonight. We've had some crackers over the last six months, especially. Obviously, we've had world champions from both boxing and MMA, but we've also had special guests like Billy Moore, the author of the amazing movie, A Prayer Before Dawn. We've had two or three other... You know, listen, this isn't just confined to Merseyside professional boxers or MMA athletes. This is everybody involved in the fight sports world. And as I say, I've got an absolute belter of a guest for you this evening. This man... Should have made his pro boxing debut 10 years ago, May 2009. Should have been the year he made his pro boxing debut. And he would have made history. And we'll come on to that in a second. But since then, listen, some people sit back and go, I could have been a contender, sit on a bar stool somewhere. And other people, like my guests, go out there and absolutely smash a different industry and become an absolute Hollywood superstar. And, of course, talking about Liverpool's very own Paul Lowy Low, welcome Hello. to the studio, my mate. Yes. Great to see you. I haven't seen you for ages, but <laughs> you're one of them people that, you know, obviously we had a relationship when you were when you were around, you were boxing and everything else. But then now I've kind of followed your career via social media because yeah. you're living in London, you're here in Hollywood, you're yeah. everywhere making movies and obviously superstar stuntman now. And what's well, that life like? It's okay, it's good, it's fun, it's um it's very busy. people have this idea that I that I don't. I still live in Liverpool. That's where my base is. That's where I've got my. I've got a flat. Um, but I do like. I spent a year in London doing Dumbo. Yeah. Then we. Sp- I spent uh, seven months in Belfast doing Game of Thrones. So as as cool as it looks, yeah. and as like everyone thinks, yeah, it's hard work. Oh, yeah. You, li- you live in our hotel room. You know what I mean? And that's like we spent like uh, three months doing Game of Thrones. That last episode, um, the Long Night, I think it was called. Yeah. And that was three months of night shoots and so it looks amazing and, and you watch it and it feels great to see it back and be a part of it. That was hard work. Yeah, of three course. months of night shoots so yeah, I'm very lucky. I, I love it but um, it's not as glamorous as, <laughs> as it looks. Well, listen, I, I want to talk to you obviously extensively about the career now, the stuntman yeah. career. Seventy, I counted on, on, on your uh, IMBD. Yeah. 75 movies and TV shows plus I would say at least 75. They're just the ones that are listed. And yeah. For anyone that doesn't know, as Paul's just touched on then, he is Dumbo in the Dumbo movie. Yeah. Star Wars, Last Jedi, Thor, The Mummy, Game of Thrones, of course, the new Spider-Man movie, Pan. Listen, everyone who listens to this show regularly knows I'm the world's biggest Harry Potter fan. Smashed it. Paul's in all of Harry Potter's. You know, your, your, your back catalogue of movies and TV shows is absolutely ridiculous. And I want to come on to that later in the show. But first and foremost, let's sell the fact why you're on the nation's best boxing show. And that's because 10 years ago this month, you were supposed to make your pro boxing debut. So yeah. before we come on to that story, what made you get into boxing? Because obviously, first and foremost, are you you were Britain's smallest man. 
Are you still registered as Britain's small? No, so I'm the I, so um, I'm the for, as far as stunt goes, mm-hmm. I'm the smallest professional stuntman in the world because wow. in a different countries it's not really professional. So we are, and then when I was when I turned over boxing uh, pro, if I would have boxed as a pro, I would have been the smallest ever boxer in the world. That's the because there was one guy uh, from South Africa, I forget his name, mm-hmm. and he but he was like five one and four eight. So I was going to be then the smallest ever professional boxer. That's what it would have been. Wow. But obviously before I turned pro, I, I had a, an amateur career. It wasn't a very good amateur career. But because it's not like a, a pity story, but because I'm small, when I when I first started boxing, I was like fly. And I was like an adult. There weren't that many people around at my weight. No. And I started a time where um, I didn't... I didn't so, so I basically done Thai boxing. To become a stuntman, you've got to do six different sports. Like... Gymnastics, trampoline, and horse wow. riding, and all this. So I done it, and one of mine was Thai boxing. I got to quite high level of Thai boxing. But you did that as a kid, didn't you? You did that younger, yeah. When yeah, I was yeah. younger, yeah. I done a bit of boxing when I was a kid, but not much. And then I'm, I, I done most of my training in London. I moved back home, and he was a boxing gym right near my parents' house, uh, St Aloysius uh, Boxing Club. Of course. So I joined that, and I met like, uh, but I we, I went in there first just to do kickboxing on my own, and I just trained. And like Tom Stalker and Jamie Stalker used to watch me. And they were like. And they said to me after, like, we used to watch you do, like, these, this stuff with, with your hands, and we couldn't do that. <laughs> and I, and it, so then Kenny Willis was like, why don't you start training with us? And I was like, all right. So, so I just got more into boxing, and I, and I just loved it. And I, so the, the Thai boxing that I just got forgot about, and I just got into boxing, and then amateur boxing. Um, but it was just, I struggled getting fights yeah. because of my size. I just did. Like, it was just, my, fir- I, my first fight he put me up for, it was going to be in Wigan. And I, I don't know the lad's name. But I was if my first fight. This is because Kenny Willis was just was crazy. But he, you know, <laughs> but he was going to put me in with a kid who had 120 fights, and I I didn't care because I, I literally I was an adult and I'm like I knew how strong I was and I was like I don't care. Yeah. And then and then at two hours before the fight, we got a phone call saying the kid's going to box someone else, and the, their trainer said, um, "We don't want to take the fight because either way, if he gets beat by Paul, who's our now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good luck. And even if it beats him, he's he's boxing someone who's had like zero fights. So fair enough, yeah, yeah. Um, and then just went on. My my boxing, my amateur boxing record was at four fights, one uh, one, which sounds ridiculous. But then out of them four fights, two were only properly, um, were only at the proper weight. So my first fight to box the kid was fifty two kilo, and I was like forty eight <laughs> for an amateur show. Yeah. My second fight to box the kid was fifty four kilo. Um, He's from St. Helens, nice guy as well. But, I'm, and I, but I was told he was 48. And I was in the ring with him getting jabbed. I was thinking, them jabs. <laughs> but he was like, and after he told me, my third fight um, was okay, uh, Joel Joel Sprague from Grantham, which the, I boxed and then got beat. I battered the kid. He, he won me three points to one. Yeah. And I hooked, I've got the video, I hooked him all around the ring. Even after Kenny Willis flipped and like grabbed one of the officials, it was just a joke. But because back then it was all amateur, like a jab was a point because it was like a literally you could just tap them. Yeah, yeah. I was hooking the kid everywhere. Fancy. Yeah, and I got so and I got beat there, but it didn't. And then my fourth fight, which I've, I messaged you about a while ago, was against Paul Butler. Yeah, yeah. And Paul Butler had eighty nine fights or something then, and that was my fourth fight. Mental. And he beat me in Everton Park. Um, and then I, I saw it, I was matched for different fights but afterwards. Si- Weight wise, okay, it might have only been a couple of pounds, but size wise, oh yeah, size wise, the reach on him is yeah. ridiculous. But I mean, he's, he's wily, he's big. But Paul Butler, like, he dropped me in the first round. Um, I always remember because I was embarrassed. But the thing with Paul Butler you was embarrassed guy getting dropped by a future world champion. Yeah, but the, but the, but the thing with <laughs> Paul Butler was, you know, full, full respect to him now because he's class. Yeah. But back then, 
he was he was that typical amateur style, and you know, because you watched it, you wrote a very nice review, and I, and I messaged you um, about a year ago and said how nice that review was, and that gave me a lot of confidence because it was it's not very often you get beaten, get someone write something nice about you. Yeah, yeah. But Paul Butler just basically just ran around the ring, jabbing my head off, and and I and I was like just literally trying to get close to, to him. him. Yeah, 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 and it, and back then it was he could tap me and score a point, yeah, and he won me something like fifteen points to four or something stupid, and it, and he beat me, hands up, he beat me, but it, it's not. That to me wasn't boxing. Even then, mm. I was because for me, I want I could stand there, I'd stand in the pocket and have a fight. And I know you don't have to do that, but to run around and jab someone and run away, it for me that was like that. It was just disheartening. And then, yeah, I, yeah. and then, it, and then my journey then was um, I had a bit of time off, and then I went, I, I changed um, club, and I was like, right, I'm gonna go, and I'm gonna. I was boxing for Kirby, I think, and I was doing a bit of work in London, and I was like, right, I'm gonna train, I'm gonna go in the ABAs, and I'm just gonna try and walk to people. And so I started training with a guy called John Rooney in his gym. Um, Gleason's gym, I think it was called back then, in mm-hmm. um, London Bridge. And he took me on the pads a few times, and he was like a coach, but he, and he was also a manager, and he was like, have you ever thought of going pro? And I was like, no, nah, I don't want to. And he was like, you hit like a mule. For your size, I've never seen anyone. You hit like a mule, you should think about going pro. And he just instilled this thing in my head, and I was like, maybe I should then. Yeah. And then... Because so it wasn't necessarily a money thing, it was the fact that oh, you knew it, you'd get fights. It was never money for me. Like but I knew I knew I was never gonna be a world champion. For me for me I just love boxing. Mm-hmm. And for me I want it was always that thing of I remember once when I boxed Joel Joel uh, Sprague in Grantham, I remember walking in and all his mates were laughing at me and that because I just I'm a novelty, I'm little, you know what I mean? And I, I remember round by round I remember looking at them all laughing and calling me major or whatever they want to call me. I remember round by round looking at them because I was battering the kid, and I remember, and then at the end they were all standing up clapping, and it was that whole thing of like I know where I am, but it was nice then to show people because yeah. I know I'm a novelty. People are gonna look at me, so so I was like, yeah. So I so I turned over, um, and here's how bad it was. I when you, when you're a pro, if when you turn over to a pro, obviously you have to show what 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 um experience you've got, and I had four fights, and that wasn't enough. Yeah. So they send someone from um, the boxing board to come watch you do an open spa. Of course. And the only you. the only person for the open spa was sixty four kilo. This <laughs> this guy who was a pro himself called Carl. I'm a I forget what his name was. Lovely guy, but he was told to go for me. Oh and I'm, yeah, and I remember like yeah, and so this is an open spa. I mean, he wasn't going crazy, but he still hit me. Yeah, um, yeah. And they'd done it. We go for the interview. Remember at the interview, uh, Naz's old trainer Brendan saying, oh, "Paul, can you stand up and can you?" Um, can you just shadow box for us? And I remember, oh my God. I remember, and I was like, I'm intimidated. Yeah, but I just did a little bit. And he's like, yeah. And I think he just wanted to see that I could do it. And yeah, yeah. the one, one question they were like, which is good again for the stunt, the stunt part of things. They all sit there around, you know, the boxing ball, and they're, they're trying to intimidate you and ask these questions. And one of the guys said, you know, Paul, you're gonna get boxing. It's pro boxing. It's serious. Like you've got to stand there and you got you've got gloves on. But someone's gonna try and punch you in the face, you know, and and they're gonna try and hurt you. And I was like, yeah, I know, I understand that but I've got gloves on, I can try and hurt them. It's no different from my job. I've got to stand there and let a car hit me. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about nerves and how you like look after yourself and how you can you can um, take make sense of, of like someone trying to hit you and hurt you, that's my job. Yeah, my yeah. job is like I'm standing on a cliff jumping. Like every every day I go into work is something like there's there's elements of danger and you've got to like weigh up them like that. And he's just all sitting there going, okay, then we'll obviously he's got his head screwed on. Like, yeah, yeah. getting punched in the face is no different than a car hitting you 20 miles an hour, whatever it is, you know what I mean? Absolutely. And then, yes, yeah, so I just turned pro, um, and I loved it. I loved being a pro. I was sparring, like, Ian Napper, the guy at the time, Gary Davis. Um, so these are, like, top pros. These are like, yeah. all active top pros yeah. in the UK. Yeah, Paul, Paul Edwards. used to spar him now and again. I go, go down and get me head punched in by Paul Edwards. Um, but these are all good people, and I was like, you know, even, like, Gary Davis, he... he 
he wasn't British champion then. I was in his camp when he became British champion, mm-hmm. and he didn't have so many you people. Sparred to... with him in the build up to that. Yeah, like, and we had proper wars. He was, he was, ban- I think he was bantam. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I sp- and then when he was, th- then he was British champion, and we were trained by the same trainer, Peter McCormack, who was a lovely fella. Yeah. And um, and then with Ian Napper, he went to spar. Obviously, Ian Napper was small. I'd spar the Ian Napper, and he was a lovely guy, but he was class. And Ian Napper's a switch hitter. So, the, so I used to spar Gary, and then I'd be trying to emulate Ian Napper, switch it, you know what I mean? Having these wars with Gary Davis, but so yeah, but but so basically, um, I was with a, a manager, uh, John Rooney. So the point of turning pro was that you can fight at light fly, yeah, and you'd be able to bring in international opponents yeah. at light fly. Yeah, they, they would try and get yeah. And I don't know if you remember, but um, uh, there was when that Satanta deal was done, um, there was like that boxing thing and you've got to have a show in the Echo Arena yeah and that was the first show I was going to be on that's right and, and my trainers like oh because I went with the gym I used to train in um, like George Groves used to be in there quite often and his trainer was in there what's his name the guy um, used to train Adam Booth Adam Booth and Adam Booth spoke to me privately and would say things about I'd be quite complimentary about my boxing style and, and then my trainer I don't know if this is true but my trainer was like spoke to Adam and Adam's going to put you on that show in Liverpool so I just took I was just thought being right. honest that was a haymaker promotions yeah. thing yeah 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 so so I so I don't even, I probably wasn't even on it, but he told me I was. So I trained like a madman. Then I was told, "Oh, you're not going to be on that." It's basically, I was just get, getting told a date, and the date was changing. So and, you were basically constantly in camp. Yeah, um, and trained like a madman. If people knew me at the time, I just was because I I was little, but I wanted to be. I wanted to have a good engine and just be strong. And then he got me an interview, like a meeting with uh, Frank Maloney, and Frank Maloney was a real nice guy. This was before he turned into. Whatever mm-hmm. he is now, this mm-hmm. this what what's his name? I'm not sure. Yeah, but that. Well, yeah. Anyway. Well, but he was lovely, lovely fella, and he was like, "Listen, um, real cool story, nice little selling points. I've got a show in Stoke. I'll put you on it. I'm gonna match you with this kid. He's unboxed." Um, and I was like, "Yeah, okay." So, if I would have boxed on that show, I would have been the smallest professional boxer ever. That's what it would have been, and that was a cool thing for me. Like that went down in history. So we matched it uh, eight stone one. Yeah, I knew I'd come in. Kyle King, wasn't it? Kyle King. Kyle King. Yeah, Kyle King, who was trained by the guy who Prince Azim um, beats to win the, what's the Welsh guy called? Uh, oh, uh, Steve Robinson. Steve Robinson. So wow. he was there. So basically, we mastered at eight stone one, and I knew I'd come in under eight stone, but we were like, eight stone's the limit. So I came in, wait, waiting, like, just under eight stone. This Kyle King walked in, and he was like, eight stone seven. And he wiped him down. And I was like, I'm still taking it. And my trainer at the time was like, you know, the boxing board said you can't take it because we were both we were both unboxed. Yeah, you're mean? both making your pro debut. And yeah. I was like, nah. And then I don't know how this works, and I probably shouldn't say this, but here's how bad it is. Frank Maloney came over, and I had loads of press people at the time, but now like I was in loads of papers. Well, I've seen all the nationals had done yeah. a piece. Obviously, we'd done a piece. I was at the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, the time. Lo- there was loads of stuff. It was great, you know what I mean? But and that's why I also want to do it because I had lots of people who were interested. And that was and that's what I wanted. I wanted people to be interested. That was my story. Yeah. And then uh, Frank Maloney came over and said, "Listen, Paul, what we're going to do is." Um, we we'll to. You'll have the fight, but we'll just treat it as a spy. We won't tell anyone. And the boxing board said we we'll just give it, give it you a draw. What? Yeah. And I remember, and I remember being, and I remember saying, I'm not having that. And I'd, he, rather, I'd rather you got beat. I, but he, I, I said the same thing. I said I'm either going in there and I want to get knocked out, or I'm going to knock him out. I'm an, listen, hand up. I, I knew it was a novelty, and I knew people wanted to see this little fella go in. But people who knew me and people who'd watched me train or train with me, you could ask anyone in Liverpool who see me train. I was a, I was the real deal as far as, as far as boxing goes. I, I could fight. Yeah, yeah. And because I remember being on on a uh, on this radio show, and he said to me, um, and the whole thing was, Cal King, I'm four eight, he was five eight, and Buncey was like, oh, this this kid's a foot taller than you. How are you gonna deal with the size? And I was like, well, I've sparred kids this height, 
yeah, I sparred yeah. Kitty Tall then. Um, Welcome to my world. Yeah, that, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. He, he's never sparred anyone as small as Paul Lowe, and they can't get no one. To, so ask him that question. And that was the whole thing, you know what I mean? But So anyway, so I didn't get to box on that, which was embarrassing. Yeah. Cause Just because the amount of publicity that was around it. Yeah, and I... I remember it at the time. I remember how much publicity was around it. Every national newspaper was talking about it. Yeah. You know, it, there was there's so much focus. It was a live TV show. And that just seemed that big moment. And yeah. listen, you're listening to Fight Disciples on Radio City Talk. I'm joined by Paul Lowe in the studio. We're going to pick up on that story after the break. Do not go anywhere. I want to get to the bottom of why this pro debut didn't happen. You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast. Welcome back to Fight Disciples on Radio City Talk. If you just joined us, delighted to say Paul Lowe, stuntman extraordinaire and former almost professional boxer, still joins me in the studio. And I just want to take you back, Paul, to a comment you made there just before the break about the fact that Frank Maloney, as a promoter and the Border Control, had a conversation and said the fight will continue, but it'll be an exhibition spa and we'll just call it a draw. Yeah. I can't believe. Though the entities involved would even allow that to happen. Yeah, well, I remember I remember we had the way Good in. Good on you for saying no, by the way. Good yeah, on you no. for just going, no, no I'm not because, doing that. Because, because I'm a proud man, <laughs> and I don't want to feel anyone. That's not, not, I literally, I promise you, I'd, I'd rather gone and got knocked out Yeah. And but because I would have had a war, and that, and I was that's what I was. And I was excited to be a part of something, that's what it was. But I remember we had the way in, and the kid didn't make, you know, do, is eight stone seven, and, and he was about to refuel, and it, I remember going up to him and his trainer, and I was like, "Listen, you're a world champion. Yeah, yeah. How can you?" And he said, "I promise you, Paul." He said, "He's had scales in his house, and he said, and he's been on these scales, and he's this, he's this, and his scales are wrong." I said, "But that's you. You get that. That's boxing. You go to a different place. So yeah. whether they were being dishonest, whether they thought because of the the, the all the the news around it, and I just take it. I still want to take it. Peter McCormick was like, "You're not taking it," and I was like, I, "Like I still want to take it, and I still thought 100 I'd win." Yeah. And then when obviously Maloney come over and. I wasn't part of this conversation. I was not there. So you'd have been eight, you were eight stone flat, or was it made an eight stone one? Did you say it was? We we, we said it's going to be eight stone one. Anything anything over eight stone two, we can't take it. So what's that about one hundred and twenty pounds or something like that? Well, I know, I know kilo. So I was weighing before before it. I was like because I used to, I used to, as amateur, I was like forty eight kilo. Yeah. As a pro, I was training that hard. I was eating loads of food, and I was like forty seven kilo. So I don't even know what the weight like the weight difference was, but I just remember I'd still I, listen. I'd have took it, and I'm not just saying that. Well, to just, me. The, only, the only reason I ask is in his second pro fight, he fought Uzi Ahmed, who headlined on that night. Yeah, in his second pro fight, and he weighed 114 pounds, which is what eight stone two. He did for his second pro fight. Yeah, Nathan King. Yeah, his first no Carl King. Uh, Carl King, sorry. Yeah. yeah, so Carl King's first pro fight ended up being Delroy Spencer. Yeah, which was three or four months after you were supposed to fight him. Yeah. And he was £120 that night, which is similar to what he was on the night with you. Yeah. He was 8 stone 9. Yeah. But he, he fought Uzi Ahmed. He weighed £114, which is 8 stone 2. Maybe that, So he could have made the weight. Yeah. But what it was, because, I, I mean, maybe that maybe their story's true, that it was just a, like a well, mess up. What I'm trying to but, get is, maybe, the maybe there's, a, there's a thought in his head, I don't want to get, get beat by someone that's yeah, no, that, smaller listen, than me, it, so I'm going to weigh in heavy. Yeah, it probably was, but I remember Peter McCormick, he's an honest man, he was like, Paul, he's been on the scales, and they were wiping him down before he got on the scales. Like, he come in with loaded jackets on, almost like he's trying to get every bit off him. Yeah, yeah. And I, I wasn't there to see it, you know what I mean? Of course. But, then, and, but then, then when Maloney come over, because it was a whole thing of, I must have had like 50 people of my friends bought tickets, plus I knew people were going, messing me private, like I wanna, I've gone to watch Got to be there? Yeah, people wanted to go just to, to see this. People more probably a lot more interested. Maloney had said he had a lot more in- interest in my story than, than the the title fight that was on Absolutely. the top of the bill. Yeah, yeah. So when he come over and he said, "Oh, what we're going to do is we're going to have this. Um, we'll do it. And he'd be like an exhibition bout, but no one will know. We won't say that. But we'll just give you a draw." 
you know, to the outside person, they might have looked at it and gone, okay. But one, I'd looked awful. Yeah. Because I don't want to have a spa. Of course. And two, then I don't want to have a draw for my first fight. I want to, like... I want to win. I trained to win. Yeah, I've yeah. been sparring. I'm getting my head punched in by good people. Sparring, you know what I mean? Like, I wanted to go in and have a fight, so... So, yes, but I, so I said no to it. And it, so, it, it. So that night went belly up. So, obviously, I remember talking to you at the time, and obviously the rhetoric coming out of it was, he weighed in too heavy, it's not happening. So it'll be, a, Maloney was like, we'll, meet, we'll meet, make it again. We'll yeah. do it again. It'll happen somewhere, you know. Yeah. So why did it never come off? So then, um, again, I had a manager who, um, John Rooney, he was just dishonest. And that's the only thing I can say, because, because then he said to me, you're going to be on, there was a show like a bit later, and it was a, a Jamie Moore show. For a European title, I think it was, and he was like, and it, because I'm not dealing with Frank Maloney, I'm not, yeah. getting, I'm dealing with this guy who's saying it's going to be on. Yeah. So I'm just going, Are you sure, yeah. So I'm just training like a madman, thinking, yeah, and it, and it got to to um whatever, and then Jamie Moore got got sick or something, and they're going to change the show. Whether I was even on that show, I don't know. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, but by, by this point, I've been training for like nearly a year, yeah. full on, like doing Everton Valley Hills nearly every day. I was knackered. We used to go, I because I used to train with with Tom Stalker, and we go train with like the Smiths. And they'd be like flying, and I'd be, and I'd see them, and I'd be like, I want to be as fit as them. Yeah, yeah. And I, so I'd be pushing me, I'd be going up, get up in the morning, do my own thing, but I'm like, I've got to be as fit as them, you know, because you just do. Yeah, yeah, of course. And then, um, and it got to a point then where I was like, you know what, this is affecting my career, stunt wise. So you're not, no doubt, you're probably not going to work back now. Yeah, oh, but no, it was. No, I'm going to make me pro and, debut, also, so. and also, I was fatigued and I was knackered. Yeah. So I just was like, you know what, I, I've got to, I've got to give it a miss. I've got, I'm not, I'm not going to do it no more. So I left it for a bit, and then Steve Wood, who's a real nice fella, he, he had a boxer. Was it Satchel, Kevin Satchel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was light. He was really light, and he was just up and coming then. And he, and Peter was always, because um, Gary Davis was managed by Steve Wood, and I knew Steve, and Steve was a nice guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so Peter was like, he's got this guy, Satchel can't get no fights. So Steve Wood was like, well, if Lowe wants to fight him, we'll, I'll I'll get Lowe, because I had to get him new medical, and I'll get Lowe's new medical, and Lowe's new scan. And then we'll just, uh, that'll obviously, whatever, like, Money wise, but we'll just that'll pay then for for to fight Satchel yeah, and yeah. win lose a draw. We just fight him against with two fights for Satchel. I was like, sweet. So we train him for that. And this is not a, not against Steve Wood because I like Steve Wood. And it got so close to it. And then um, Peter was like, "What's happening with the medical then?" And then Steve Wood was like, "What? I'm actually not going to pay for the medical because I'm, I'm paying, which he probably was. I'm paying for all these boxers' medicals, and then they're, they're not fighting, and I'm losing out. So I don't, I'm not going to pay for his medical. So I just said to Pete, "You know what, Pete?" Like yeah. I'm not Here gonna go again. I'm not gonna pay for my own medical and my own head scan. Yeah, I yeah. totally understand why Steve would say it, but that's not my deal. I'm not gonna pay for it. And then Kev Satchel, which he, he not said he would have, but say if he gets sick, exactly. and, and, I, and I'm just that, and I'm just gonna be that stupid. I have no luck in boxing, basically. I'm just yeah, be that yeah. stupid person who just boxes all the time. And because we we had the wedding, I can say it now. We had the wedding. It was um, Gary Davis's wedding, and um. Gary Davis was known as this banger. He just was. He that he was just a power puncher. And Pete, Mc, Pete McCormick was talking, and it was me. We were sitting there, me, Pete, um, Gary Davis, and Steve Wood, just like having a drink. And um, Steve Wood was like talking about me as a boxer. And then Peter McCormick said, "He's one of the biggest hitters I've, I've ever seen." And I, and then Steve Wood was like, "Oh yeah." And he said, "Do you rate Gary Davis as a banger?" And Steve Wood, "Yeah, Gary Davis is a banger. He's known as it." And Pete, who was my trainer, and I'm not. This isn't me lying because I'm saying that really don't. Mm-hmm. And, and Pete McCormick said. Lowy it's harder than Gary Davis. And Steve Wood was like, yeah, and Gary probably doesn't. And people like, no, I promise you, for this size, Lowy it's harder than Gary Davis. So yeah. if you're, and so and Steve Wood was like, he took no, then, you know what I mean? And I think he must have thought, ah, so, listen, it's just a shame. I love boxing. I still train now. I, I go, like, most days. And I love, like, I, I still keep in contact with my friends who are boxers. I love it. But not that I, I was never going to be a world champion. 
you know, I'm, I could have maybe got British level, maybe if I was lucky, but just to even fight. So yeah. I bigger regrets that I, I didn't fight because I would have loved it. It would have been amazing just to have that pro debut. Yeah, just to just go to down in history. history as the first. Yeah. The, the, sorry, the smallest. Yeah. Would have been would have been amazing. Win, as you say, win, lose or draw. And it's just a shame that you train for so long because, you know, I, I, I was in and around Liverpool fight scene even more than I am now at that stage covering for Liverpool Echo and... There was like pockets of these amazing fighters all over yeah, the city, and, and you stories. were one of them, and everyone was involved, and everyone I, was talking about we were, it. And... We were go- I was going like to Anthony Farnell's gym with, with Tom Stalker, me and Tom are good mates, mm-hmm. and we go and we go to Anthony Farnell's gym with Tom Stalker, and I'd be like tra- training on a bag next to Bellu, and like if Frankie Gavin was there, and these are all top class amateurs who just turned over, and I was like, so the motivation in me, and then we go to like um, it, the the it's changed now, but it was. Where Ricky Hatton used to train that that gym in Manchester. Oh yeah, yeah. Kerry Kayser's gym yeah. used to be. Yeah, and we yeah. go there and like John Murray, we train alongside him. And I'd be, and I'd be, for me, I was just flying. I just loved it. You know what I mean? I, you know, I'd be going down and seeing like these people in London and, and training with all these people. And then come to Liverpool and all different fighters. And then I'd go over to like America just on a trip myself. And I'd be watching like Manny Pacquiao train. And I'd be talking to it. Just it was for me. It was cool. I, lo- I love boxing. Yeah. So I, my aspiration was never to be a world champion. But my aspiration was just I wanted to be like like them. Of course, I wanted to to say I was a pro boxer and, and to make history just was be next thing. You know what I mean? Did you get into Thai boxing originally? Uh, because you had these the the dream of one day becoming a stuntman, as you say. You need no, to travel. I, these I, I never ever wanted to be a stuntman. That was I always wanted to be an actor. I've done acting for years. I started acting in school, done some shows, then done some touring shows, and shows in the West End. So I only I done a bit of boxing when I was a kid, um, but I didn't like it because I. I didn't like getting punched in the head. Yeah. <laughs> and I just didn't... Because everyone had a bigger reach, basically. Yeah, and I didn't enjoy it. And I was like... Oh, and then so I went away and then I, I, I trained. So you got to get to, like, a brown belt level in Thai boxing, like that class. So to be a stuntman, I had to get to that level. So I used to go to, like, this gym in Bethel Green and, like, I got... There's a like, great coach, great little gym. But I used to just train there every day and just do that. And it was only because I came back to Liverpool and there was a boxing gym close to my parents' house. And I still went there and just in Thai boxing on my own just to keep fit. And it was yeah. only with the lads there... You know, it was just like Tom Stalker, Jamie Stalker. It was like, you should come and just do some do boxing. boxing. And I was well. like, oh, I don't know. And I started doing it then. And I was like, I actually enjoy this. And Kenny. Well, was, was it the, the camaraderie as well? Because there was a moment, sometimes you get lightning in a bottle. And for a brief spell, St. Aloysius yeah, it was. was lightning in a bottle. Remember the handshake we used to have? Of course. And, and and every other club used to start doing it to us. Yeah, yeah. And it was. And the thing was, like, we were in a little tiny gym in St. Aloysius. Um, and Kenny Willis, um, funny enough, I dreamt about him last night. I dreamt to see him. I, I, I often bump into him, but not very often now. Like, well, it didn't make sense. I often, but I, I bump into him, not very often. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was just, he was like this cool, crazy fella who loved us. He did. And I remember he used to like, he used to get us, and we'd put our gloves on, and he'd be, he'd be hitting the pads, and he'd be going, bloody hell, you're str-. and and the confidence in us all. And so we'd go to a club show, and if it was one person fighting. You'd all go. We'd all go. Yeah, yeah. And it, I, I, you know, and it, we was we didn't have narcs at any of the club shows. We got on well with everyone, but it was just he was a good camaraderie. I mean, like to the point where we'd have keys to go in the gym, and so like me and Tom Stoker would go into the gym on a Sunday, and we put our gloves on, and then we'd wrap the, you know, like red gloves, and we put the white around the bottom like the pros have, yeah, yeah. and then we'd spar each other like me and Tom. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because we were just in the gym. Like Rocky and Apollo. Yeah, but we we weren't getting told getting the gym on. So we go in because we wanted to train, yeah, yeah. and that's what it just. Yeah, and we'd go and do like. We, we our drive to like Southport Freshfields and all those, and we'd run along. It was just fun. It was just a fun time. You know what I mean? We'd go on holidays together. Like it was just a good gym. A lot of people get old, of course, and then people sort of go and do whatever they want to do, and, you know. And then you know, even like with Kenny, he had boxers, and then he had good good kids to look after, and they'd go. So you know, maybe his ambition changed. But 
but for a moment, that gym oh, it was, red hot. was flying. It was unbelievable, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I say so you were in a, this golden period of Liverpool's amateur boxing scene. Yeah. It must be amazing. Now, obviously, your career has taken a different direction, and we'll certainly come on to that later in the show, but it must be nice to look now and go, I know Bellew, I know Fowler, yeah. I know Stalker. You well, know, it, everyone's careers have been, that whole golden generation, you know, there's not many that haven't succeeded. Yeah. Numerous world champions fighting all over the world. But I, I was thinking on the way, yeah, which is, I mean, I don't know him that well, but Callum Smith, so Tom Stalker was training for the Olympics, and I'm good friends with Tom, and I went down to um, to, to, to Sheffield where, where they used to train, and this big black dude walks in, and it's Anthony Joshua, and he was massive then, and he was like, how are you, how are you doing, mate? And Tom was telling about me, and Callum was in his bedroom, and this was the day that Callum was waiting on that phone call to see if he was in the Olympics or not. Wow. So, and I met, and they were all waiting. Everyone was a bit nervous, but Callum was just, I mean, I don't know him that well, but I know him a bit, but he's quite quiet. But he was just in his bedroom waiting, and then um, they got a phone call, and he got, got told he wasn't going to the Olympics. And then I stayed there for a bit longer with Tom, and I remember just knocking on his door, I don't, and it's just went, Callum, mate, I'm getting off, but listen, whatever's gone on, like, you just need to keep your head focused on, on boxing, but best of luck. And he just was like, yeah, and he, who am I to him? Like, he doesn't really know me that well. And he must have been gutted. But then you look at him now, like, he's a world champion. You know what I mean? Number one on the planet. Yeah. Ring magazine. Yeah. Best super and and, and on the, the, planet. the way things change, I just remember, like, and I, could, I, don't know, I don't know him well, but he just looked gutted. Yeah. And his whole world must have fell apart. And then you look at him now to be like a world champion. You know what I mean? Like, Tom. Well, can, the, the, this is the mad thing about boxing. Those same Olympic Games, Tom captain Team GB yeah. at those Olympic Games. Yeah. And Callum didn't get picked to go. Yeah. And yet, Tom just couldn't, ad- you know, he, he didn't, didn't have a staff. No, for he, he, didn't, he didn't achieve what he wanted to achieve. No. But to be fair to Tom, and I'm not speaking out of the team, I trained him for years. Tom Tom never used to say, I want to be a world champion. Yeah. Tom well, Jamie and, was the best. Let's yeah, be honest. he was class. Jamie yeah, was unbelievable. Jamie was better. But, but Tom, Tom and Jamie just wanted to win an um, Olympic medal. That's yeah. what they wanted to do. That's all he wanted to do. And and that's what he was always aiming for. So for Tom to go to the Olympics and captain it, that was you know that, that was, was his un- dream. Yeah, that was unbelievable. And to be fair, I, mean, I went. There's this whole story about that. How I got a ticket. Like that's uh, I don't. It was just wasting time. So obviously, but anyway. But, so you went out to the Olympics to support Tom. So it was in London, and I was so it was in London, and he had you know a certain amount. I'll keep it short. He had a certain amount of tickets for his family and friends, and obviously Jamie and lots of. So I didn't couldn't get a ticket. So he was boxing that night, maybe at seven o'clock. I got to the venue at twelve o'clock. Um, to try and get a ticket to buy one and the, I was getting offered free tickets for ping pong weightlifting and I was taking it down because I wanted to stand outside and get a ticket because I was like I just want a ticket to see Tom mm-hmm. and anyone who was buying a ticket and, and got saw by the police the police were getting them and taking them and you are getting done for it you couldn't do it Right. and this police guy came over to me and he was like Can, what are you doing and I, and I said listen I'm just to be totally honest I'm not going to lie to you one of my best friends is fighting the Olympics and I've boxed him and I said I can show you proof and he's boxing tonight I haven't, I haven't got a ticket and I'm standing here it's, he's not boxing until 7 o'clock but I'm going to wait here until I get a ticket because I just I genuinely want a ticket I'm not trying to sell it on he's like you know what mate this is the London Olympics and it's your mate he said I promise you if, if you buy a ticket off someone if a policeman comes over I'm going to be here till 9 o'clock you come and find me and it'll be fine and that was the spirit of it and, and here's, here's the better part of the story a, a girl who was there and she was like she worked for the Olympic thing and like what they were walking around and she said can I, can I ask and I was talking to her and she went have you got Tom's um like, they must have this special number. Why, why she went? Because if you get Tom's, like... Um, like a code or something? Yeah, like... like his a, Olympic... His Olympic n- number. Registration or something. They get three other tickets that, they, that that is to them, and they can get them. And not a lot of people know about it. So I messaged Tom, and I got it. And then, and then she, I, I got them. I got the tickets, like... And that was very kind. And I went back to Liverpool, and then he boxed again. And she, she messaged me, and she said, no here's worries. how nice she was. She went, listen, I've got to do it. I'll pay for the tickets now. you just got to got to meet me, and then give me the £57, whatever oh. it is, when I meet you. And I was like, 
Yeah, that's how nice humans were. She didn't know me. It was just the, sp- the spirit of the spirit Olympics. Of the Olympics. Yeah, and I met her to give it, and I'm still friends with her now on Facebook. She's just like this woman in London, and that that was really nice. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but I went to watch him, um, and he he should have won the bronze. Mm-hmm. Like that was a robbery. It was a robbery. Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff that went on before it, and England got a lot of. The story goes, England got a lot of um, good, you know, decisions which he shouldn't have got. Yeah, and it almost like they had to make Tom well. an example. Joshua winning heavyweight gold medal. I didn't want to say. Medal, I didn't want to say. Anyone that remembers yeah. those Olympic Games, Joshua got one or two or maybe even three favourable decisions yeah. in the run-up to that Olympic Games. But listen, stick with us. Paul Lowe in studio with the Fight Disciples coming up after the break. For all these Game of Thrones fans out there, of course I'm going to ask them about that full burn in Season 8, Episode 1. Do not go anywhere. This is the Fight Disciples. You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast. Welcome back to Fight Disciples on Radio City Talk. If you just joined us, delighted. Paul Lowe, boxer, actor, stuntman, still joins me in the studio, I'm delighted to say. We've just been talking about, obviously, Paul's journey into pro boxing. Now, it didn't quite work out, but obviously, as you can tell by listening to his voice, mad passionate about the sport. Um, and obviously, like myself, someone that's been so happy to be a part of this th- thriving Merseyside fight scene over the last 15 and 20 years and seeing lads that we know, we grew up with, um, doing it now on the bigger stages, nothing is better. But I want to spin it round, Paul, and go how proud I am. I'm sure all the boxers will say the same thing about how your career has taken off in the movie business because I said at the top of the show, 75-plus movies, and we're not talking about little movies, we're talking about the biggest movies of the last 10, 15 years, you know, the Harry Potters, the you know the, uh, the Marvel movies, the, listen, Game of Thrones... It literally just gets no bigger than Game of Thrones right now. The world is encapsulated and engrossed by Game of Thrones. People are staying up till two in the morning to watch it in the UK when it's on Sky Atlantic, everything else. And I've got to be honest, I tweeted the other day, I don't know if you'd seen it. Season 8, episode 3 was quite possibly the greatest episode of anything that has ever been made for TV. Proper fanboyed out on it. The Longest Night episode. Um... You said you said earlier that took what three months to make that yeah, so, one episode of the show. Yeah, so that one episode was three months. So they broke it down as fifty-five days of nights. So fifty-five night shoots. Um, Unbelievable yeah, for that one ep. Wow. And and the mad thing is, is because people see it and go like, oh, we we filmed that in like January, February, March. Yeah. And it was freezing, freezing. <laughs> to the point where like I, I'll have like three layers of three layers on then my costume on. We had like prosthetics and everything else. Mm-hmm. But it was cold, and to the point it would it would be snowing. So you'd be it'd be snowing, and they'd be using fake snow machines, and like, and then you'd have like some rain machines. Like it was just it was mad. Just it, horrible. It was just freezing. Yeah, like I mean, you still. I've been doing it for long enough now that I I I know to step back and go listen. I'm doing, even though I didn't. I guess I knew how big it would be. Yeah, yeah. But you don't know, you know, how it's gonna be like the, the response to it. But I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy this as cold as I am because I know. Once it comes out, it'll all be worth it. But yeah. you'd be standing there, like, doing a shot, and you're doing the shot, like, ten times, freezing on top of some hill, the wind blowing at you, and it, it's hard to 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 go, oh, this is this is amazing, you know what I mean? Yeah. But you've got what to, a great job of Yeah, not. but you've got to stop yourself, because there's so many people who'd love to be in my position, so you are, but, yeah, it, so it literally was 
three months of like freezing cold night shoots and and it's funny now because if you see all these actors uh, what's the thing this morning they're all like oh yeah we've done three months of night shoots no 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 them, them actors didn't do three months of night shoots because they, <laughs> they'd come in for a day right. and they'd have the rest of the week off or come in for two days you know what I mean like Kit Harrington I love him lovely guy but he, he you know he's saying oh yeah three months he wasn't there for three months of night shoots like we was and he was if playing he, golf every and, other and day. if he was he wasn't getting in at, at one o'clock in the afternoon sitting in Pathetics for four hours getting on set for seven o'clock he would come in and get like so he'd done it yeah, and it yeah. looks great, but they, the stunt team and the crew, they're the ones who really, you know, and the, the extras and everything else. Mm-hmm. But these, the, the actors in it, the main actors, they're going on like they were there for the three months. No, they wasn't. <laughs> they just come in and out, cold as it was for a night, and then he back in the nice hotel. Yeah, there you go, you see. Uh, I want to talk to you about season, uh, the first episode of this season, though, because yeah. that was, you stole the show. You yeah. were the start of episode one of season eight with that full burn. Yeah. For anyone who hasn't seen it, just talk us through what, that was your first full burn I'd seen you'd said. Yes. By that I mean, as a stuntman, first time you've been fully, fully set on fully fire. Fully set on fire. So, I mean, I've done. i been on fire before. I'd had all my back on fire in different bits, but we, we knew early on, like we were doing Dumbo uh, before this film, mm-hmm. and uh, the stunt coordinator of Dumbo, Riley Erlen, was the stunt coordinator of this. Okay. So he, he, he not... He gets For anyone listening, you wear Dumbo. Yeah, I played Dumbo, You played yeah. Dumbo yeah. in the brand new movie yeah. Dumbo. <laughs> Which yep. must have been amazing. We'll yeah, come on. To, we'll come on to that in a minute because yeah. I want to ask you about Danny DeVito and yeah, that. legends like that. Yeah. But the full burn, then obviously, to be, is, is that like a little tick with a stuntman? It's like yeah, oh, it's a big tick. So, the... so we, we knew early on it was going to happen. So Riley was like, "Would well, you want to do it? Is this this, this kid's going to be impaled, and it's a full burn?" But does when you're when you're set on fire running around, it's different because fire moves. Yeah, yeah. If you're on fire on the floor, when you go forward, it goes behind you. So and obviously fire's really hot and it burns different temperatures. But we were gonna, be, I was gonna be impaled to a wall, still static, wow. and just burning. And okay. and so there's there's lots of safety aspects which are different as well. I was sitting on like a seat with like this metal thing around me with a pole. I had costume over that, so I couldn't get off that. Yeah, yeah. So if things go wrong, so listen, it, it went perfect. We filmed it twice because they wanted two different angles. But if something would have went wrong, that that's that's where you've got to be concerned. Then of course. But it was a yeah. So it was my first full fire burn, but it was the it was a lot. More tricky than an, an an average sort of fire burn, shall we say? So do you have a do you have like a, a snorkel inside there to a to, no, to so a gas have, tank where you can breathe? No, or? no. So you have so you basically have a mask, so it's like this big mask. But you see, people people who don't know what we're talking about, if they go onto YouTube, the, on the Game of Thrones uh, YouTube page, there's like the, the making of yeah, season yeah. one. You can see it. There's like a piece about yeah, it. I retweeted but, it on my Facebook. Yeah, yeah. So there's a there's a mask that you put on, and basically where the mouth is, it is like a hole, and it's like a sort of like a tube that, that from the from the front of the mask to the back. Mm-hmm. And so you, you put your mouth around that tube and you breathe that tube. So the idea is when they set you on fire, before they put you on fire, you bite down on the tube. So that, that closes Close it. it closes the gap. Right. And then you just don't breathe. And then then because it's like silicone mask, sometimes when you want to breathe, then it can stick a little bit or it can be a bit like if it's a bit flimsy. So they will come once they put you out because the CO2 is not nice to breathe. Mm-hmm. They will come then and put a tube inside to make it easier to breathe. Wow. But you don't have you don't have like a breathing apparatus inside because you're just getting set on fire you've got to be very careful but it, it again it's down to relaxing and doing it because if if, if I panic when I'm on fire mm-hmm. and they're, it's you, you've seen the size of the burn mm-hmm. if I open my mouth and breathe in then flames are going in my mouth and it's burning my lungs and, and that it's just dangerous wow. so you so if you see it and I'm doing all this and I'm moving well, but I'm a- freaking out obviously yeah, of course. but I'm actually that's why if you watch it when it goes cut cut you, you see me just go still because I'm just relaxed I don't 
And in, uh, after is that he goes, to let the, new, the crew know? Oh, he's fine. Yeah, my, I, we had a signal. So if I I'm on fire, if I was if I felt something or for instance, if the mass split mm-hmm. and I could feel heat, I was just going to do star straight star. Yeah. And and they'd come in. We had like two people with a because the funny thing is you have firemen, but they they can't come over to you. The first port of call is the stuntmen. They've got CO two. They come in because you're. It's very different sometimes. Firemen are watching, be a bit like either freaked out or they're watching just like wow. They're not used to seeing it. They're not professionals. Yeah, well, the, the professionals are putting fire out, but yeah. it's, a, it's a different thing with filming. It and so, it's a control and, and burn, a, if you like. There's yeah. a performance, so so you have stuntmen who are there, and they come in. So they, they knew the signal. If anything went wrong, they'd come in. And then, obviously, if worse comes to worse, and the firemen there with the big hose. Mm-hmm. But it, but it was fine. It was it was big. Professionally, was that the most nervous you've been on a shoot? Um, No. No. I had one moment, because... It's cla- you put this mask on, it's claustrophobic. It just you imagine anyone who's, who's sitting at home, imagine putting like something like a bag over your head mm-hmm. and, and putting it round there and you got a tiny hole to it. That's what it's like. Yeah. But it's thicker, so it clings to your face. So they put they put the mask on straight away and they said, You've got to be by the time you put the mask on, by the time we get to the bay, it's gonna be like forty five minutes. Oh, so they put the mask on and then they're putting this costume on and moving me and then the the where the, the hole is to breathe is closing, so I'm trying to get my breath, and it, so you start, your heart rate starts, goes up, so some coordinator, Ali Allen, come over, and he's like, Lowie, and he's finished, but he's like, Lowie, listen, everything's done now, just relax, just sit there, there's someone out, just take, and I was like, so you just do then, you just sit there, and you just relax, and blah, 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 and it's fine, you follow the instruction, you know, everything, everything's going to be okay, I done it the first time, you get nervous, that, yeah, yeah. That's, nerves are good, that's adrenaline, yeah. same with, with boxing, nerves just mean you've got to be more aware, you've got to, so we've done it, and I literally, I didn't even know I was on fire. I literally, a guy came over to me and said, was I on fire then? He said, it was massive. Because you, <laughs> it I, was on, massive. Yeah, but you don't know that. You don't feel it. So, this, so the second time, I, I, I was a bit more relaxed and I was like, I, I know how, how it is going to feel, even though I didn't feel like anything. And I, you know, it was fine. And, but then he said, oh, it's only going to be 20 minutes. You should sit there again for 20 minutes. It was nearly like another 45 minutes. Before you got out of it. Before they filmed the fire oh, the again. Next, oh, right, so I was okay. sitting in this mask for nearly... <sighs> Like almost two hours. So, I th- so I, on that little video, you pull it off and you see me smile. Yeah. I'm not smiling because I'd just done a fire burn. I was smiling because I couldn't see for like two hours. I just took a mask <laughs> off. I was just like, yeah. So yeah, it was so nice to have this mask off. <laughs> but but as you said, like it was a, you know, it it was a very nice thing, and I didn't know they were going to make a big deal of it on like the making of. Yeah. I got interviewed, but that that interview you see me do that was taken like seven months later, hmm. and they asked me loads of questions, which they might bring up other bits for different bits we done. So I didn't know they were going to make a piece of it, but so it was really nice they actually did. Yeah, you yeah. know, because it was a, it was a, a it big... Was the, it was the moment. It was the moment yeah, of, was seri- of, of episode one of series eight, which yeah. is like, here's the final season, episode one, you need a big moment to capture the whole... Everyone goes, oh yeah. my goodness. And that was you? Yeah. That was your moment? And and they'd, they'd only ever burned one kid before, and they didn't actually burn it. Remember that girl on the stake? Oh yeah, of course, yeah. But they yeah. went to burn it, and then the camera just went towards the guy who was watching it, and his face was just like, oh, that's right. So you, that, you didn't so, actually see the girl physically set. So on fire. it's probably the first time that you've seen a kid on fire like that graphic on yeah, on yeah. film. But HBO don't care because <laughs> well, because one, it's Game of Thrones, but two, it's finishing. Yeah, so yeah. shock value now, they're like, you know what, we we just push it. And and the reaction it got is, is what they no wanted. There's no season nine anyway, yeah. so don't worry about it. And the reaction it got is what they wanted, because everyone online was saying, like, how... It was terrible. They didn't, well, I see one person wrote on, because I shouldn't have done it, but when I went onto YouTube first, I was like, oh, you have comments, I see, and a lot of people, like, complimentary. And one person was right, wrote, I don't know why they set them on fire. It didn't even look real. They should just use fake fire. <laughs> <laughs> I was baffled by that. How, how did it look real? Yeah, exactly. I was it was real. How bloody hell. <laughs> Like, you can't look anymore real. I was on fire. It's like, yeah. But no. Professionally, has that been the, 
the most rewarding thing just because of the public response or is there other things that you've done that you really enjoyed? Or... Yeah, I, I don't look at things like that really because it, because because we're unsung heroes, I guess, of... Um, the movie business. Yeah, you know, yeah. since we don't really... So I get... Is there a Stuntman Academy Award? No. That's, which is which is rubbish. Crazy. Yeah, which that's an, that's a whole another podcast. But I, I go into work on a film and I I meet like costume designer on Dumbo. She's mm-hmm. won four Academy Awards. I'm sitting there talking to her about costume. She puts the costume on me and then I go to to makeup and then but she can get obviously make, costume get Academy Awards. Go to makeup. They put my makeup on. They get Academy Awards. Yep. Go on set. Director directs me. Can get Academy Award. Cinematographer does all that. He can get an award. I'll do something like on Dumbo we've done some big stuff mm-hmm. not that it deserves Academy Award but I do we stunts do things exactly the same as any other department of course but we're not recognised I'm not saying we deserve it any more than anyone else but how can you say like makeup can have an Academy Award but stunts who risk their lives I've got a friend there David Holmes who's in a wheelchair for the rest of his life because he broke his neck on Harry Potter you know what I mean like yeah, that yeah. was doing a stunt for, for a film how can you say we don't deserve yeah. credit you know what I mean it's like insane that, yeah in terms of Dumbo, then what was that like being on set? Yeah. Of course, with yeah, Danny was... DeVito and yeah. you know well, Colin Farrell and it was cool. That was a Michael sec- Keaton, yeah. Batman, yeah, Batman. Wow, that, that was the second film we've done with Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. So we've done a film before that called Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Yeah, and I, and I'm I'm a massive Tim Burton fan. One of the first films I watched, well, one of the first cartoons I used to watch years ago was was uh, Dumbo. Really enough, when I was wow. a kid, I used to watch it all the time. And then one of the, one of the first proper films I used to watch was uh, Pee Wee Herman. And I just loved this film. And I only found out a couple of years ago that it, that was directed by t- um, really? Tim, Tim Burton. Yeah, it's his first film. Peter Herman's Big Adventure yeah. or whatever it was called. It was his first no film. Way, but I've know. always been a massive fan of Tim Burton. Like, uh, Beetlejuice, as his hands just have. And so, and I'd read a book about him when I was like 17. And then I got to work with him on on, on uh, Miss, Miss Peregrine. And it was, it was a cool experience. And then on Dumbo, I was here, know him a bit better. Yeah, of course. And so, you, so it's that whole little thing of like, Going on set and Tim saying good morning, like more to Tim, and it's like that's really cool. I'm a kid from Iton, yeah, and exactly. Tim Burton's like not me, but I know him. You know what I mean? It's like oh, but it's it just a, Tim Burton's sets. He, he uses the same people all the time because he's 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 got a very um, specific way of working, and I guess it's a trust thing. But he likes the same people, mm-hmm. and so he uses the same crew same and actors. yeah, and so there's a nice sort of like family that's feeling true. on set. You know, the yeah, same yeah. DPs, like it's just nice the same like special effects. So then so. You're comfortable anyway with all the team, and then it's all these the well same characters because like um, Eva Green, I worked on Miss P. She was she was with us on um, Dumbo. So there's, there's old like actors you worked with before, yeah. but then these new actors like Danny DeVito. And Danny DeVito has been a big influence in my life. Yeah, yeah. Just growing up, I want to be an actor, and if you're mm-hmm. like you're you're not gonna be an actor, you little I go look at Danny DeVito, mm-hmm. and I would, and I remember watching him thinking I'd love a career like him. Next minute, I'm stuntable, and I'm standing next to him like having little not. Not in depth chats, but just talking and how you doing, you good, and it's like it's really cool. It's you know what I mean? It's like we finished, and he sent a whole the whole crew a cap, so that in the film he owns a circus called the Medici Circus. Mm-hmm. So he sends us all like a written letter with like this cap, Medici Circus cap. Wow. He's just, but he's just a lovely fella. He's a legend. You know what I mean? He's Amazing. a he's just a real nice guy. What we need to do is push for twins too. You and the Rock. oh yeah, you and the Rock. I'll Perfect. do it. Yeah. Cut me in. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> I like Rock. I'm Lower. Lower. <laughs> you don't know me, you see, Will. <laughs> yeah. Lower and the Rock twins yeah. too. Let's make it happen. What what projects have you got coming up? What's what's next? I know you're in the new Spider Man movie, which is is that next year? Uh, that, oh, I think my oh, I think it was out is this it year. Out, yeah. Is it out uh, now? No, I think it was out this year. 
Yeah, so the, th- the thing with, uh, with this industry is because you've, you've, you'll film something and it'll be ages till it comes out. Yeah, yeah. So we so Game of Thrones, obviously, that goes on for another three weeks. So we, we I've got more bits coming up. I mean, not nothing maybe as crazy as what happened in the in episode one. Yeah. But we, you know, there's 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 more stuff. There's more to I can't come. give it on away, but yes, yeah, you said you said this battle that you just seen was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you'd be blown away by stuff that's going to happen. Well, this is the mad thing because Game of Thrones fans, I went on straight away, and a lot of fans are going, "Oh, they blew it! They blew it! We've been waiting for seven seasons for the White Walkers to come. Now that they uh, they did it in one episode, what are they, they going to do next?" And I'm like, "This is Game of Thrones. Yeah, you haven't seen this. That. Is Game of Thrones? You wait and see yeah. what they do next. Well, it's not giving it on away because I've seen like uh, in his day with Amelia, and she. She said, "Oh, episode episode five is like massive." Yeah, but it is. So, but but game of like you said, they'll spin things on on your on their head. I've had people come over to me, my mates, and they everyone has this idea of what's going to happen, and they're like, "This is going to happen." Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, "No," and not one not one thing that anyone said is is true because I know the end. I know what's going to happen. Not one thing that anyone said has come true. It's come to fruition. Everything is like. Oh, this happens, and I'm like, you're way off, really. Yeah, and I, I won't tell them, but of course, people don't want to know. But yeah, but it's the whole thing of like people watch this the the, the, the longest night and think, oh, there's there's more to come. I can't wait. Basically, what I was told when we done Game of Thrones was they wanted to make a series of television, this last series that can never be repeated. Wow. And and they've done it. They're doing and, it. And believe me, believe you me, the budget was was like almost like endless. Like they just wanted to get it completed. Yeah. So the at one point I think we had a hundred something. Which has never been done before. For, certainly for a TV show as yeah. well. Because I said to my wife the other day, we'll have to wrap this up, but I said to my wife the other day, that episode I've just watched there, in fact, all three episodes of this new season so far, they're like the best films I've seen. Yeah. Like, like, it, it rem- it's it's more like a, a movie box set. It's more like the Harry Potter series. That's, so, like, that's what it's getting like. So, Each one's epic. So I stood two things. I stood, when the Nightshoes started, one of the first things we filmed of the Nightshoes is knowing that episode three and all the whites are waiting and they charge at the... Um, not the Thrakis, the the Unsullied. Mm-hmm. And so all the white, we were all waiting there like that. And obviously, because we'd been out all night and they came this big sort of thing, we've got to do the battle. And I was next to some of my mates and they were all, we're all moaning because it's freezing. I was like, stop a minute. And he must be like 10 hours. He stop, stop, stop. What? And I went, just look at the castle. And we're about, what's the castle called? Oh, uh, uh, where are they? Then it's not King's Landing, is yeah, it? Yeah, but it's what, that castle, West, famous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, Westeros. whatever it is. And I was like, no, then you get no. Westeros. I'm, I'm, I'm in it, I don't even know what it is. Yeah. But, and I was like, look at the castle, I said, we're now making TV history. And you're like, yeah. what do you mean? I was like, we're attacking this castle. Like, when people watch it, they're going to be blown away and we're doing it. And we're like, oh, it was the novelty. And another thing was, it, this is TV. I remember standing on a hill doing a shot and I've done, I've been lucky enough to do some like big films. I remember standing there and things of a, a, a film, like in like, a crew will go over and film that. And I remember being on this hill and, it was the, the set was an night shoot and the set was massive you see the castle there the other filming something else down there which is like a part of a dragon something else there with Jon Snow and then something else further off and I was but it, I've never seen nothing so huge yeah. and that's TV yeah and because uh, you know people think it's a TV show it's not it, no, it's it fil- it's made every episode made like a film that's yeah. how much money's put into it you, you, I stood there and I was blown away and I've and I've been lucky to be on some situations. Some big sets. And I was there, and I was like, "This is Game of Thrones, this is a TV show, and this is how big it is." And and it's also a credit to the producers because they want to do that. They wanted to do that. Yeah. They wasn't trying to go. Let's do it on a cheap. They wanted to go big. Yeah. And 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 I think credit to them because they know what fans love it and everything else. But they want to they want to create something that to be proud of and that people got to watch and go, "Oh my god!" That'll never not, be beaten. Yeah, not just like, "Well, we do that by CGI." When you see like 120 stuntmen charging. Or fifty horses. There's 120 something and fifty horses. You know what I mean? It's like it, it, that's how mad it is. Wow. 
proper TV. I love yeah. it. It is amazing. And it's funny now when you go back and watch season one, episode one with Sean Bean in. Yeah. The, well, I was the in season of, one. The lack of budget then yeah. compared to the I budget. I season now, one. It's not funny. It wasn't season one. They were like, Loie, can you ride a horse? Cause I, I don't for Tyrion. I see all the riding at Tyrion in season one. I was like, okay. yeah. And you're like, we've got these horses, but they're from a riding school. Like, normally you get like film horses. We got these horses, but from a riding school, <laughs> so just a local riding school, and it was like, really? Get on I, it. Yeah, and I was gotten this horse, and it was like, oh my god! And then obviously money got involved, and they got like a proper, yeah, yeah, like a whole people like their own unit for the horses and proper film horses. But that's what it was back then. Amazing. And like you go like normally on a, on a good TV show, whatever, like the nice like get chains over there, and these nice like when a bay goes, it's just like a little sort of cabin, or like a little shitty swear, a little crap eating in the corner, and you'd be like, really? Game like, of Thrones season yeah. one. We we done it. We done a thing. We, I had to kill Grandmaster Pychel. Was it Grandmaster Pychel? Uh-huh. Yeah. And <laughs> it's a couple of seasons ago, and I remember we were like in these little sandals. I was playing a kid. I was the first one to stab him, and uh, we film it in this like it's supposed to be like in this little sort of underground place. Well, they went to this underground place. It was raining, and it was that bad. The the rain was coming through the the roof, and I was like, surely you just go to a studio and build this little set, it'd be cheaper. And it was like, but do you want to build? Do you want to film it here? Done it authentic. Yeah, so we're walking around like rain outside, rain inside. <laughs> this is yeah, it's just mad. But it's you know, it, again, it's an experience because I I done like the first series, and then from five, six, seven, eight, and you'll go and do stuff whether it's Frozen Lake or whatever, and. It's all. It's just cool. The, the people on it, mm-hmm. the, the the actors. It's just nice. You know what I mean, it's not like it's not like anything you do, anything else I've done. It must be quite sad when you're finished, like yeah, the end of it. It was. You know what I mean? To well, think well like... because because I've been going for ten years to Belfast, but you get thrown into everyone's story, and every time, every time an actor finished, they'd stop, and then you go to everyone would crowd round, and they do a big speech to the actor, and for instance, Kit, and then they do a thing to Kit, and Kit have to do a speech, and you know, and I'm standing there, and I'm Kit Harrington's like doing a speech and he's getting emotional and you get drawn into it because he's been part this has been his life and he said in his speech yeah. he was like this has been my life for 10 years using my family I met my wife here like I don't know what I'm going to do without Game of Thrones and you, you, you if you've got a heart you can't help but feel emotional because of it's course. like this is, this is a we're proper we're all invested yeah. in this project Yeah, you, you all meet up and, ev- and now you're going to go and you go say goodbye and that's it and it's gone yeah. you know what I mean it's, it's weird and it was so you get all these people who are finishing and it's like goodbye to them goodbye to them yeah it was, yeah it was hard. sad, like really, well, you know. But I guess the the payoff is is the ending. Yeah, People exactly. talk about The Sopranos for years. Hopefully, now they'll talk about Game of Thrones. Well, I mean. I'm sure they will, no doubt. Listen, thank you so much for coming into the studio. Thank you much for I me. could talk to you all day about that kind of stuff. But <laughs> the boxing thing's been amazing, and uh, we didn't get that little bit of history. But listen, the last ten years, your career, you weren't you weren't put on this planet to become world champion boxer. No, you were put on this planet to make a massive impact on a decade and the next decade and the next decades of. Uh, Hollywood blockbusters, man. So and have fun you. doing it. Enjoy it. You're listening to Fight Disciples on Radio City Talk. That was Paul Lowe. You can catch him. What's your Twitter handle, Paul? If anyone wants to follow you, Little Lowey. Yeah. And for more fight news, of course, Merseyside Boxing, MMA, and all the international stuff too. Follow Fight Disciples and get us on social media at Fight Disciples, Facebook, Twitter at The Fight Disciples on Instagram. I'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes.